Can we just pray for a moment? Uh, man, I'm, I'm a little misty because just uh, that story means so much. And, and being here with, with you guys means so, so much to me. Because if you just knew what God had taken us through to get us to where we're at today, um, it's just, it's really near to my heart. So let's pray. Father, as we open your word today, would you bring a peace that passes all understanding? God, would you still our heart and our mind as we open your word? Would you speak to us? We draw near to you, and we ask that you would draw near to us this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. It's really good to be with you guys this morning. My wife and I uh, made the drive up from uh, College Station a couple of nights ago, and uh, we are just thrilled to be here with you guys. Drew has already kind of told you a little bit of our story, but I have some fun stories on Drew that I'm not going to share. I'm not going to share because he's the man of God, and he has, you know, he owns the mic, and he might walk up here later and tell some stories on me. My funny, the funniest story I will tell actually on myself that is quite comical that I wasn't planning on telling. I was at a church with this group that we were traveling in and Drew was our kind of producer, road manager at some point. And um, I grew up playing classical piano. I learned how to play uh, with sheet music. And so playing in church was kind of different for me. You know, I had to learn by ear and I was always asking for charts and sheet music everywhere I went and people were like, you know, we don't have that, you know. So I just kind of figured it out over time. Now I can't read sheet music 20 years later. <laughs> but anyway, we were at this church, and uh, we sang some songs, and at some point the pastor just, like, walks up. It's a Sunday night, and he was like, hey, everybody, we're going to sing happy birthday to my mom. It was like her 98th birthday or something. And so I'm the only one on stage, and this is embarrassing, but he, he turns to me, and the piano was, the keyboard was basically right there, and he was like, Ben? Let's sing happy birthday to my mom. Play happy birthday. I didn't know how to play happy birthday, man. <laughs> and so I just kind of played a chord. And, and then I think I faked that the keyboard like had a malfunction. You know what I mean? I turned the volume down and I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I've, I've played it off. But man, it was so embarrassing. I mean, God uses some stuff sometimes to remind you that, you know, we really depend on him. Anyway. I remember Drew uh, giving me a hard time and others as well giving me a hard time. In fact, he brought it up yesterday, and it was funny for him to say it because I told my son, who's, who's almost 14, that story for years. So anyway, it's really cool to be here. We're going to be in Acts chapter 15, and we're going to be reading a big passage of Scripture, uh, verse 1 through 21. I'm going to read it, but you know, we're in the middle of this, this uh, series on Acts, which is really awesome because I've been praying about, hey, when we start our church, our first gatherings on Sunday, and we're a bit away from that. We just moved to Bryan College Station, and my story is way too long to tell, but God literally moved us there, and God started to bring families around us, and uh, I, I didn't go to Texas A&M University. I'm not an Aggie, and so moving into this land where maroon and white is kind of everyone bleeds maroon, that, it's a little strange, but God moved us there, and we've been praying about, hey, what would our first sermon series be on? And and we're praying about Acts, and so it's really cool to be with you guys in, in the book of Acts. So we see the story of the church really being birthed in, in Acts, as you guys know. And from the very beginning of the book of 
Acts and all throughout Acts and church, the, as the church is growing, there's this persecution against the church. I mean, from the very beginning, the message and the messenger were crucified. And then persecution followed after that. You know, uh, Saul, uh, Stephen is stoned. And, and then there are people that are thrown into jail for their belief in Christ. And uh, men are sought into. You read Roman history. Tacitus says that uh, Christians were burned alive to light up the city at night. Can you imagine just the horror of all the persecution that's happening to the church? But even though this persecution is happening, the church is building in momentum and the church is growing in spite of all of this opposition, in spite of all of this persecution, the church is growing. And see, in Acts chapter 15, there's a new type of uh, onslaught against the church, but it's happening from within. It's happening inside of the church, and it's very significant. And so we're going to start in in verse 1, and we're going to see that the, the fight that's against the church at this point is to clarify what the gospel is, to understand what the gospel is. And so there's this there's this division that's happening which is distorting the gospel. So when we look at Acts chapter 1 through 21, Acts 15, 1 through 21, we're going to see a couple of questions that pop up. The first one that comes to the early church is, what is the gospel and is there anything else added to it? And the second question that the church is facing is, in light of the gospel, how then should we live and how should we live in community with one another? So let's read in Acts chapter 15, verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all of the brothers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees rose up and said, it is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the Lord and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After this I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. The remnant of mankind may seek the Lord 
and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogue. Verse 1. But some men came down from Judea and were teaching these brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. We're going to settle the first and primary question that was being asked at that time, and that's whether or not you should circumcise your sons. I'm just kidding. That's, that's a joke. <laughs> Most of the Christians at this time were Jews, Okay. And so what we're reading right now seems kind of strange and odd, but this was extremely normal. Almost all of the Christians initially were Jews. And so they had been raised under the Levitical Mosaic law. And circumcision just kind of represented a whole slew of different laws that existed during that time. There were the clean laws and there were the ceremonial laws. There were things that you could do and couldn't do. Clothes that you could wear and couldn't wear. Food that you could eat and couldn't eat. And, and so this is just kind of what's, this is the culture at the time. So it seems kind of odd to us, and I'm not going to go into all of it, but I mean, this was just a very normal thing at the time. Now, 15 years later, when we're picking up in Acts chapter 15, the gospel had spread outside of those Jewish, early, early Jewish believers into the Gentiles. And, and it's, it's spreading into, into parts of Rome and Italy and and Greece, and so the gospel is being spread. And these early Gentile believers, they have not been taught the same laws that the, the, the Jews had been taught. And so uh, Paul and Barnabas and Peter, even, the reason why they did not follow the law is primarily because, uh, you know, they weren't being taught to. Paul and Barnabas and, and Peter did not teach these guys that they had to be circumcised. In fact, God started showing up in, in crazy ways and just saving people. And, and so that is why there's this debate. And that's why this text is so important because it, it, things could have ended a little bit differently. And so Peter and uh, Paul and Barnabas all show up in what's called the first you know, church council or the Jerusalem council, and they're gonna settle this. They're gonna settle this because Paul really believed that it mattered what you believe. Gospel accuracy matters. And so they show up. I mean, Paul, I mean, he's, he's really doing well for himself. I mean, Jesus crucified, raised from the grave, and ascends to heaven. And then Paul's really the next guy on the scene. And he, he is, he's doing really well. And so for him to leave the church in Antioch and travel 300 miles south to Jerusalem, I mean, it wasn't like he could hop in a car and be there in four or five hours. It was an eight to 10 day walk or four to five day journey by camel. And so, you know, to do that, it must've been very difficult. It wasn't easy, but he'd already dealt with this in, in Galatia and he writes about it in Galatians. And he was so amped up about this. At, at some point he even said, I wish that these guys who were talking this circumcision stuff would just go all the way and emasculate themselves. That's what it says in Galatians. So he was pretty upset about this right? So he's fired up. He's going to go down to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and they're going to get to the bottom of this. Verse 2, 
And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go to Jerusalem to the apostles and the elders about this question. So that's what they do. They go there to answer the question, what is the gospel? And is there anything else added to it? Is Jesus' death and resurrection, is that enough? Or do these Gentile believers have to become uh, Jews first? Verse 4, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they declared all that God had done with them. This is a beautiful picture of the early church because there's diversity that's happening, right? I mean, these Gentile believers, they didn't, they didn't know the, the law the, the way that the Jews did. And, and they're being sent from Antioch to Jerusalem, a different church. But we see one church come together, one church. And that's God's vision for the church. It's, it's the vision that he's placed in our hearts for the, uh, the city of Bryan College Station. I mean, it's, it's, there's so many different economic and racial and everything. Is, it's, it's super diverse. The city is super diverse. And I know Little Rock is as well. And I know that's a part of the vision that, that the elders and Drew have for South City, is that this church would be a diverse church. So Paul and Barnabas, they go from Antioch to Jerusalem to, to settle this. And they're connected. The church is connected. They're, they're one. Differences of opinion. Yeah, sure, you think one thing, we think another thing, but that doesn't mean that we can't come together in some kind of, you know, a community for the, for the sake of unity, to get on the same page. And so it says right there that the, the church was, uh, they were welcomed into, into Jerusalem. And, and there's so many divisions. I mean, I've, I've talked a little bit about this already, but there were so many divisions about, you know, the the Jew and Gentile relationship. And Paul writes about it extensively in a couple of places that come to mind. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and 1 Corinthians, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and Romans 14. He says things like, hey, you think that uh, you should worship on the Sabbath, which is the Shabbat on Saturday, because that's the way that you were raised as, as a Jew. And some of you feel like you should worship on Sunday because that's the day that the Lord was raised from the grave and that's why we celebrate. Some of you think Sunday, some of you think Saturday. If you wanna worship on Saturday, that's cool. If you wanna worship on Sunday, sure, knock yourself out. That's what Paul says. We've gotta be able to come together in some kind of, of unity. Differences of opinion don't matter. Some, some say, you know, meat that's sold in the, in, in, uh, in the market that's been sacrificed to idols you don't want to touch it. And others of you, you're like, hey, it's just meat. It's benign. It's just, it's a means to an end. I'm hungry. I want some meat. It doesn't really, I have no conscience regarding the meat. Paul's saying, hey, you guys have differences of opinion. We've got to be able to live in community with one another. What is the gospel? What is the gospel? And is there anything else added to it? They're trying to solve this, this question. It might be good to stop and say, well, what's the gospel? We talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ came and died and was resurrected for us. And if we believe in him, there's therefore now no condemnation, but only everlasting joy. That's the gospel. And so Paul, Barnabas, James, Peter, they are all meeting to come to this, to find out what, what is the gospel? Is there anything else added to it? Let's go pick it up in verse six. 
The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Peter's first argument right out of the gate, he's going to Acts chapter 10 for us, right? He's, he's referring back to the story of Cornelius. He's the general of this Italian cohort, some sort of like special forces guy who's a Gentile. And he shows up and preaches. Peter goes and preaches the gospel there. And, and the Holy Spirit of God falls on that house. And Cornelius comes to faith and his whole family believes in Christ. And Peter's saying in, at the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15, he's saying, hey guys, here's the deal. Like, I didn't see any circumcisions going on. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't have to tell Cornelius, hey, get the bacon out of the house. You guys better cook that steak. Well done. There better be no blood flowing through it. He just said, which those are some laws. He says, you know, Holy Spirit just showed up and saved Cornelius and his family. So no, these guys don't have to become Jews first. Peter's second argument is, hey guys, you know, here's the deal. We've never been able to keep up with the law. Our fathers have never been able to keep up with the law. We have all fallen short of following the law. And, And these Gentiles who don't know the law the way that we know, we know it. We were raised in this stuff. We steeped in the law. I mean, these guys, some of them had to memorize the Torah and the law, you know, word for word. Every jot and tittle, every apostrophe and comma, they knew the word. That's why so many of these Jews came to faith because they saw the Old Testament prophecies all pointing to Christ, the city that he was born into, the family that he was born into, what happened when he was crucified, what didn't happen when he was crucified that happened to other people, bones were broken. They saw all of this and they they saw that it all pointed to Jesus, the Messiah. And Peter is saying, okay, here's the deal. The law was never able to save us. We've never been able to follow it. Our fathers were never able to totally fulfill it. Why are you now placing this burden, this yoke on these brothers? He's saying, no, no, this makes no sense. This is illogical. This is illogical. Verse 11 is really, I mean, it's the spotlight really of this passage when Peter says this, but we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. Peter's talking about, hey, we believe, like we, Peter, Paul, James, these guys that have come, we believe that God's gonna save these Gentiles through, through their faith in Jesus just as he did us, that's it. So the first question is answered. What is the gospel and is there, is there anything else added to it? Now, for lots of us, we, we've grown up in church and maybe been around the Bible and, and studied it our whole lives. And this, this term, the gospel, just kind of falls flat. But I have found in my life that I have to remind myself of what the gospel is and the truth of the gospel 
more frequently than I realize. I'm just thinking about the good news of Jesus and what that really truly means. That, you know, it doesn't matter if I spend 30 minutes in prayer in the morning or an hour and a half or five hours. Like, he, he, he came to die for me. He's not watching my performance and, and just waiting to strike me. The legalism, I grew up in a church that, that was very legalistic. There were certain, you know, things that I could do and couldn't do. There were, you know, don't go to this party, don't go to that party, you know, don't listen to secular music, whatever that is, and all kinds of other things. And so I, I felt like I had to perform to earn my salvation. And a lot of us, you know, we, we walk through that. And maybe you haven't stopped to think about that, but we can do nothing to earn our salvation. It was through the blood of Jesus. It's been done. It's been done for you. Amen? So Peter's up there preaching. I mean, preachers are preaching on this day. Peter's up there preaching. Paul and Barnabas are about to preach. James is preaching. I mean, I would have loved to be in the the room at that time (laughs) just to see this go down. So Peter's preaching and Paul's taking notes. And Paul writes about this later in a different way. He says to answer this question, what is the gospel? Is there anything added to it? His answer is no also. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, it says, For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's amazing, right? That's amazing. Let's read verse 12. And all the assembly fell silent, and they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. So Paul and Barnabas start telling stories. You know, they're kind of round two. Peter gets up and kind of punches them one, two. Hey, guys, you know, We've had a hard time following the law our whole life. Why are you trying to get these Gentiles to follow the law? Paul and Barnabas just get up and start telling stories about what God's done through them. I mean, they're saying, hey, there are churches that have been planted. There are believers that have come to faith, and they didn't have to follow the law. In fact, now those guys, the Gentiles, are out, and they're the ones sharing the gospel, and it's spreading like wildfire. So they start telling their stories. Their stories are powerful. Our stories are powerful. Your story is powerful. There's something special about a story. I mean, when somebody gets up and starts telling a story, especially about life that's been changed, that's when people start to lean in. And so for some of you, you may have gotten saved at a young age, and maybe you can't remember when the gospel really became real to you. And maybe it became real to you at a young age, six or seven or eight years old, when you first came to faith and you were baptized, and you can remember that distinctly. I know some people that can. But I know later on in my life, I was probably in my early 20s when the gospel really became real to me because I thought that it was up to me. It was about performance. It was about boxes that I had to check. Man, if I didn't get up at 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. to pray, man, I probably wasn't going to be much of a Christian that day or whatever, you know. Stuff like that. And at some point I realized, oh my gosh, I am trying to earn my own salvation and God's already done this for me. So when the gospel becomes real, that's when 
that's when you can share that story. Some people, they don't know how to share the story of God, maybe the creation to Christ story to, to people that don't know who Jesus is, those um, un, uh, non-believers or un, unbelievers, if you will. But if you start sharing your story of when the gospel became real to you, that's when, that's when really transformation happens. And, and God, God's given each of you a story to, to share. And so just start to lean into that. Start to practice that. This is, you know, this is my, my story. This is what happened to me. This is when the gospel became real to me. Our job is just to love people and to pray for God to give us opportunities to share our story this story of God changing a human heart, right? That's amazing. And that's up to him. We can't do the change. We can't change our own hearts any more than we can change someone else's. That's when, that's when God steps in, the Holy Spirit steps in. Get your story down and start to share it with other people. Verse 13. After they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to Take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after I return, I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins. I will restore it, and the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord. Verse 19, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. I mean, Jesus hath brother James, pretty important guy, wrote the book of James, first book really chronologically that was written in the New Testament. He's the leader of the church. He grew up with Jesus, pretty important guy. Everyone starts to pay attention when James speaks up. And James is like, hey, he quotes Amos and he quotes Jeremiah to prove his point. And James is like, this is what God has been up to since day one. He's always been wooing the Gentiles back to himself. Verse 19 is really the key verse. Let's not make it difficult for people to come to God. Let's not make it hard for people to come to God. I mean, in my life, I've been thinking, what have, what have I done to make it difficult for people to come to God? What, what have you done to make it difficult to pe for people to come to God? I mean, Acts 17, verse 26 says that God has chosen the exact time and places where men should live, right? So like, like God has put you in the neighborhood that you live in, on the street that you live in, in the job that you work, in the school that you attend for a purpose and for a reason. Like God did that. And he has put you there so that you could share his story. And some of us have made it so difficult for people to come to God. And there's a God conversation maybe that needs to happen and, and they're supposed to have it with you, but you're not having it with them because you don't even talk to them. And so, you know, that's what I'm praying for in Bryan College Station. I'm praying that for the believers, the people that are a part of our community and our, our, our church, that, that in Bryan College Station, people would know, like really, really know a Christian really, really know a Christ follower, not just know where they are, oh yeah, that's the church that they attend, but like really know someone so that when their life breaks down, they're struggling with some of these questions about God or they're trying to, you know, navigate through a broken relationship or a broken marriage or maybe someone's mom gets cancer or something like that. They, they know, oh yeah, 
I know a guy that walks with God. I know a, I know a girl that walks with God and I'm gonna talk to them. I wanna have those conversations. I mean, we, we moved to College Station uh, three weeks ago and we're there for another three weeks at this one house that we're renting and then we're moving to our permanent house that we bought in Bryan. Bryan and College Station, I forget that I'm not in Texas, so it's just a little bit outside of Houston. And uh, these two cities are really close to one another. I mean, they call them the Twin Cities in some way, but cities is kind of like a, an overstatement. It's like the Twin Towns. Uh, and so half the population vanishes. Uh, it's like 300,000 people. They vanish, 150,000 or so are the students between Blinn and Texas A&M University. And so they, they vacate the, the, the town. Well, when we moved in a couple weeks ago to this rent house, I'm just kind of moving some stuff inside. I'm with my, my middle daughter, Kinsley, and a dude walks out next door and he's got like, he, his arms are full of liquor bottles and he's going to the trash can. And he's a student, I can tell. And so I've got families on one side, student on another side, students across the street. I mean, it's just a very random. And I, I, wasn't, a, I wasn't expecting to see any students. And uh, so it kind of caught me off guard. And, but I'm thinking like, I wanna tell this guy, like I wanna get to know him, but I don't want him to think I'm weird. I also don't want him to find out that I'm a pastor because, you know, I want to have a relationship with this guy for this six-week period of time, right? I want to, not that I want to, not that I'm ashamed of the gospel, but I know that in certain parts of the country, especially in where, where we're from, there's a label with the term pastor. And so I've got to overcome that. I want this guy to know I'm not judging him because he's got this, his hands full of empty liquor bottles that he's thrown away. I, I want to I make an impact on this guy while, while we're there. So we're praying for him. I'm only there for another three weeks, and I'm still praying for an opportunity to share my story and the story of God with him. So anyway, um, some of us are making it really difficult for people to come to God because you're not having those conversations with people. Uh, so I just want to share an, just an easy tool that I learned. There's a guy that wrote a book called uh, Saturate, Jeff Vanderstelt, and he talks about missional communities and house churches and stuff like that. And he, he shares this method called the BLESS method. Now, BLESS is kind of an overused uh, term in a lot of Christian circles, but this uh, acronym or acrostic is really helpful for me. B-L-E-S-S, -S, when it comes to sharing our story. So B starts with, uh, B is begin with prayer. And so with my neighbor, his name is Cyan, like the color I don't know, I've never heard that name before, but that's his name. So with Cyan, I'm just, I'm praying for him. I'm beginning with prayer. Like 100% of us can do that, right? We can begin with prayer. That's not hard. So I'm praying for Cyan. L is listen, listen. Now that's easier for some of us, right, than others. <laughs> I'm not always a good listener, but I'm listening when I talk to him. I'm listening. I'm listening to what he's interested in. I'm listening to his story. He's a fifth-year student working on his master's degree at the Mays School of Business. Uh, he's from Amarillo. Um, I'm trying to remember other parts of his story, but I'm, I'm, I'm keyed in. I'm not talking to him with the intent, like, I'm going to tell him about Jesus, and I'm going to, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for God to open that door, and I'm listening. So begin with prayer, listen. E is eat, eat. So 
share a meal with that person that you're trying to reach. Now, with Cyan, we don't really know each other very well, but like in the work context, think about the work context or a neighbor that you really know well that you've developed a relationship with, to invite them into your house or invite them out to coffee or whatever, just to eat with them. There's something sacred about sharing a meal with someone. So begin with prayer, listen, eat. And then uh, this, the first S is uh, share or serve. Uh, serve is the first one, excuse me. So you're looking for opportunities to serve that person. So for me, I'm looking for opportunities to serve Cyan. I, when he's around, I'm, I'm looking to see what's going on. Is there something I can help him with? Like, is he getting something out of the truck that I can help him with? They're building a fence the other day. I, I'm heading out of town here, you know, but that would have been a good opportunity. Hey, can I, help, can I help you guys knock this fence out? I'm not very handy, but I've got a hammer, you know, just to be available. That's what we should be known for, right? Just serving. Uh, and then the, the, the second S is share. And so that's when you're looking for an opportunity to share your story uh, with them, something that God's done in your life. You're listening. You already have a relationship with them. You've shared a meal with them. You've already been praying for them. At that point, you know, it's game on. So uh, let's, let's make it easy for people to come to God instead of making it difficult. And let's not get so hung up in trying to change them. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. That's, that's God's job. Our job is just simply to love and to share our story. Okay, back to the text. Verse 20 and 21. But should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from, from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read daily, or he is read uh, every Sabbath in the synagogues. So if the Gentiles are not required to become uh, Jews as a, a condition of salvation, the second question still stands. And that is, in light of the gospel, how should we live? And how should we live in community more specifically? Because if, if these dividing walls are down between us, we've got, to, right, we've got to come together in some kind of community. So that's what they're starting to, to wrestle with. Because uh, as a Gentile, they may see something as a freedom that God has provided. They've lived this whole way and eaten steak kind of medium rare their whole life. So what's the big deal? Well, for the Jew, it's a big deal. And so they're trying to, they're saying, hey, how do we live in community with one another? How do we table with one another? Now, tabling is not something that we do. That term is not something that we throw around. But that is a term that was used during this time. And that was really the issue was how do, we, how do we share a meal with one another? Because for the Jew, even to be around someone that's not following these laws was, was defiling. And so there was this complication. If we're one, if we're one body, if we're one church, then, then how do we reconcile these, these differences? How are we supposed to do life together? These are the, que the questions that are at stake. How do we treat our other brothers and sisters in Christ? Um, people with different political opinions. People of different races, people with different preferences, different backgrounds, different ages, different nationalities, uh, just diversity. How do we do life with people who are different? If we can't do life with people who are different, then we might be believing in a different gospel. We, we might need to reread this text. Are you with me? Because if our view of the gospel and your view of gospel community is like this safe, 
insulated um, kind of Christian club inside the bubble where you can only be in if everyone looks the same and dresses the same and talks the same and and like this homogenous Stepford wife kind of Disneyland utopia gone wrong. Like if that's your definition of Christianity, like I don't know what Bible we're reading here, right? And, and I'm talking to myself here too because I grew up in the South and I grew up in Texas and, you know, man, it's like, man, it's a red state, man, you know? And then I'm meeting some people that are, they're, man, they voted Democrat. Well, what, how do I do, how, how do I talk to them? Do, am I trying to convince them, you know, my political opinions? No, that's like not the gospel. It has nothing to do with the gospel. What about dinosaurs? <laughs> I mean, there's all sorts of like crazy divisions that people have, like the age of the earth or end time eschatology. Is Jesus coming back for the church before the tribulation, in the middle of the tribulation, after the tribulation. It, I have an opinion about that, right? And you probably do too, but that's not the gospel. The gospel has nothing to do with those things. And so if we have these differences of opinion, how do we engage and how do we live in community? These people that believe in Christ. I, the most common example that I can think of today is alcohol alcohol. So I grew up in a house where if I had said alcohol twice, like I just, oh, three times, my dad would have been doing one of these numbers. I would have heard the, the belt like come off. Not really, but not like that, Drew. But I mean, it would have been like, son, what'd you say? Not really, but you know, that's, I was afraid of it. So I never said alcohol, you know, in the house. I've said it four times now. But for some people, you know, it's like not a thing, right? It's not a thing. Y'all, you love a good Cabernet. You might even have one of those decanter things, and you like to open up that bottle and just let it breathe, man, and pour the wine in the decanter and just, just got to let it sit. Got a timer for it. Okay, it's time. You pour a glass. You drink it. Go to sleep. No big deal. But that glass may stir up for you worship or thanksgiving or joy, right? But for another brother... That one glass might turn into two, might turn into three, might turn into a whole bottle, and the next morning he wakes up in another state with a new tattoo, right? So that's the question at hand. Do, do you open the bottle of wine? I have no conscience on it. It doesn't bother me, but for this brother, it does. So that's what this text is saying. How do we live in community with one another? Well, they're all saying, if that's the case, then don't open the bottle of wine in front of the brother that has the issue. Maybe he comes from a home where alcoholism is, it just ravished his family. Or maybe he struggled with alcohol. Maybe he's a recurring alcoholic. Would you open that bottle of wine and just enjoy it and laugh it up in front of him? No, that's what, that's what, that's what James is now saying. He's saying, uh, here's, what, here's what needs to happen. Because it's kind of confusing they're, they're saying in some ways circumcision is out, but all these other things are still in. But basically it's so that we can table with one another. We can live in community and love one another. And it's this beautiful picture of, of really love. And so James is saying to the Gentiles, hey guys, um, here's, we're gonna write them a letter and we're gonna ask them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from what has been strangled and from blood. Okay, and so 
they get the letter, and I know you guys are going to be here next week, but verse 31, they get the letter, and when they read it, the Gentiles, they rejoiced because of its encouragement, right? So they're like really happy that circumcision's out, first of all. (laughs) I mean, like really happy. But, you know, they didn't get these other things and think, okay, well, that really stinks because I I like sushi. I like to eat like raw fish, you know, or whatever. Uh, What? What's that? Oh, you don't like sushi? Uh, Yeah, so they see these other things and they're like, they rejoice. They rejoice. And it's this beautiful picture of a community that's very diverse and you've got a group of people saying, we're going to willingly lay down our preferences and our convictions and the things that maybe we're not convicted about because we know these other brothers have these convictions so that we can live together in harmony and unity. And that's the picture of the church for us as well, right? It's, it's a picture of the church that, that I know that you guys want to be. I know that's the picture of the church that God wants us to be. And so when we come to him and, and we lay these things down, God really starts to do some amazing things. And, you know, it's interesting to note as well that um, there's not like an avoidance of this conversation, if that makes any sense. I think that sometimes when we think about unity and harmony and peace and all that kind of stuff, we, we just kind of avoid the difficult conversations, right? Because it's so much easier to not talk about it. But what happens is, is it just prolongs the inevitable. And those tensions begin to build and build and build and build and build because we're not willing just to sit down and have a conversation. And, you know, we're all broken people. And we all have, you know, things that we might bring to the table when we sit down and have a conversation with someone that is, has a different view. But that's really when the Holy Spirit steps in. That's when the Holy Spirit really steps in. If, we, if two believers that have differences of opinion were to just simply sit down and have a discussion instead of, instead of division, that's when, that's when God can really do some beautiful things. So that's my encouragement to you. And man, I, I wish I was perfect in that, but, but I, I'm far from it. That's a prayer of ours as well. So what is the gospel and is there anything else added to it? No, there's not. The gospel is the good news of Jesus, that he came to seek and save those who are lost and that life in him, if we believe in him, there's no longer any condemnation, but only everlasting joy. And how do we come together and live with each other in community? We, we think of others as more important than ourselves. So here's the bad news about all of this. On our own, there's absolutely no way that we can do any of this. That's the bad news. But in Christ, we can because he he paid the ultimate price for this. I mean, one of his prayers was, Lord, God, Father, I pray that they would be one just as we are one. That's his prayer. And so our trust and our faith is in Jesus who's done this for us already. He's already paid the price. And so if we, if we live in him and him in us, his word abides in us, there's gonna be some unity that takes place. There's gonna be some hard conversations that might happen, but for the sake of the church, for the good of the city, we've gotta be able to have those conversations with one another. So he did it for us and we can only do it in Christ. As I close, if you would just just bow your head for a minute and 
I'm just going to ask you a, a couple of questions, and I'm going to pray. Um, the first question I want to ask you is, what, what gospel do you believe? Do you believe in a, a legalistic gospel or maybe a, a prosperity gospel that, man, if I just follow Christ, that everything's going to be perfect? Or do you believe in the pure gospel, which is Jesus saved me? I receive it by faith alone. What gospel do you believe? Second question, have, have you divided with people over things that are beyond the basics of the gospel? Maybe today you would say, God, I have been so rigid and I have acted as if my convictions are better than everyone else's. And I've caused division in the church or in my family or with people over non-essential things that, that I know you care about and I care about, but they're beyond the gospel. God, would you teach me? Would you help me? Would you forgive me? Would you help me to move forward in this? Third question, are you making it difficult for people to get to God? Would you say, God, would you help me to to pave a path and ease the way for people to hear the gospel? Would you help me to do it in a way that resembles Jesus? Holy Spirit, would you come? Lord, your word is powerful and we we know that you had a word for us today and have a word for us today. Would you sink it deep into our hearts? Lord, have your way in us today. We surrender to you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.